I would like to invite you to turn with me to the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9. I want to read another of these uh, wonderful stories of our Lord's compassion and his ability to handle all of life's problems. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When they, that is Jesus, Peter, James, and John, came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What were you arguing about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said. Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and dumb spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can come out only by prayer. I, uh, I love to win. Uh, as Lucy puts it, uh, winning isn't everything. Winning big is. And uh, correspondingly, I hate to uh, lose. I want to be able to handle all of life's problems as people bring them to me. I want to be able to handle all of my own problems. I uh, start out strong, but very often I end up like uh, Binkel Bogatej, the young man whose spectacular spill enlivens the introduction to ABC's uh, Wide World of Sports. I... Uh, I uh, am more uh, into the agony of defeat than I am the, uh, the thrill of victory. Howard Hendricks has a wonderful little story he tells about a, a man who visited a hospital to see a friend of his who had been very ill, was recovering. This man wanted to go and, and encourage him a bit, found that he was still uh, hooked up to oxygen, still had the oxygen mask over his face. And uh, as they talked a while, he noticed that his friend was having difficulty in uh, breathing, and he began to tug at the neck of his pajamas. He was obviously struggling, and things went from bad to worse. And he was about to call a nurse in when the man jerked the uh, oxygen mask off his face, and he said to his friend, Charlie, get your foot off the hose. (laughs) 
and uh, I have to identify, I very often have my foot on the hose, and I uh, can identify so well with the disciples here who, with the best of intentions, botched the job. The, uh, the question to be answered in this, in this text or from this text is how do we handle life's problems and handle them well? This our Lord answers for us. The backdrop to this story is the transfiguration, the uh, paragraph that precedes the miracle. Our Lord took Peter, James, and John to the top of the mountain, probably Mount Hermon, this uh, great 9,000-foot mountain to the north of Galilee. And it was there, we're told, that he was transfigured before them. He stepped back into glory. He assumed his pre-incarnate state. It's another of these passages that indicates that our Lord did not have to die. He could at any time have stepped back into glory. He died because he chose to die, not because he himself was sinful. The disciples were, of course, uh, awed, as we would be. They saw him conversing with Elijah and Moses, the two premier prophets from the Old Testament. They wanted to erect three shelters, as, they, as Mark puts it, uh, where they could stay and listen to this, uh, this wonderful conversation among these three men. Uh, they considered Jesus to be someone very profound, and he's conversing with the prophets, and they could hardly wait to hear what these three men had to say. The voice came from heaven as though it was a finger pointing at Jesus, as though to say, No, not Elijah and Moses. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. In other words, Jesus is of a different kind. He's not in a long list of great men. He's not even in a a short list of great men. He's someone unique. He is the son. Listen to him. Uh, This is the way the book of Hebrews begins. God who spoke to us in various ways through the prophets has in these last days spoken unto us in a son. Listen to him. And uh, then as the disciples uh, continued to observe the scene, Elijah and Moses faded away. And as Mark puts it, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. This is the lesson that they learned on the mountain, to center on Jesus, to rely upon him, to listen to him. Now, the first mistake that they made was uh, with reference to their regard for Jesus. The second mistake they made was that they wanted to stay on the mountain. They wanted to continue to sit there at Jesus' feet and listen to him, talk to the uh, prophets. And Jesus said, in effect, no, we must go back down the mountain, down to the world of demons and darkness and and hard and difficult circumstances, and live out what we learn from Jesus there. We must learn to handle those uh, difficult circumstances. Uh, Raphael, the 17th century Italian painter, has a, a painting which some of you may have seen that depicts this the, the juxtaposition of these two ideas. It's in the Vatican. There's a picture of the mountain and Jesus and Elijah and Moses and the disciples on their feet worshiping Jesus and everything is light and majesty and glory. It's magnificent there on the top of the mountain. And at the foot of the mountain, the nine apostles that were left were arguing with the scribes. And everything is darkness and taut bodies and grim faces and fierce looks. And this is, the, this is what we describe as the real world. This is the world in which we live. 
Of course, it's no less real than the world on top of the mountain. Nevertheless, it is a part of, of reality. It's something we have to learn to face. It's something we have to learn to deal with. We can't stay on the mountain forever. Uh, life has its ups and downs, its ebbs and flows. We have to come down into the world and live out the life of Christ there. And that's what the disciples had to, uh, had to face. So as they made their way down from the mountain to the foot uh, of the mountain, they saw the nine apostles that were left in debate with the scribes, the teachers of the law from the local synagogues, who apparently had a commission from the Sanhedrin to find some occasion to discredit Jesus. They could discredit Jesus by discrediting his apostles. The apostles didn't look good on this occasion. They did not come through. They were not able to cast out this demon. And uh, apparently the teachers uh, were using this as an opportunity uh, to uh, malign and discredit Jesus' ministry, which is what people will do. They still do it today. Uh, they, they look around at some of the Christian debacles uh, in past history and recent history, the Crusades, the Inquisition, the uh, Salem witch trials, the uh, uh, Baker and uh, Jimmy Swaggart uh, fiasco. They, they look at that and they say, that's what Christians are like. And they reason from that to discredit Christ. One word uh, to those of you who may have some trouble with that. Do not, do not uh, compare Christians with Christ. They are different. Our Lord is without sin. We are not. Uh, men will always disappoint you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And that, of course, is the lesson that the disciples learned on top of the uh, mountain. And it was the lesson that all of us uh, have to learn. Jesus is the one who does things right. He always does things right. Christians will not. Uh, when Jesus uh, encountered this debate going on, he, he asked them what they were arguing about. Verse 16, a man in the crowd who happened to be the father of this boy said, Teacher, I brought you, my son. He came looking for Jesus, thinking that Jesus could help him, believing that there was help that uh, could come from this one. The uh, disciples informed him that Jesus was gone. In a blast of uh, self-confidence, they said, don't uh, worry about it. We can, uh, we can handle this. We can do it. And uh, they weren't able to cast out the demon. So now the man comes to Jesus, and he describes his affliction. Whenever this spirit, this dumb spirit, that is spirit that has robbed him of speech, seizes him, it throws him to the ground, he foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. These are, of course, cl the classic uh, symptoms of what we would call epilepsy, uh, some form of neurological disorder that caused this uh, affliction. But behind it was a being of terrible uh, malevolence and power and craft. Now, not all Epilepsy is caused by demons, of course. Some is has a physiological base, and even in the New Testament, they knew this. The New Testament writers distinguished between physical disorders, mental disorders, and demonic afflictions. But in this case, the man clearly identified the source of the problem as a demon. Now, they lived in a pre-scientific world. They don't didn't know as much as we know, but they were not naive. They understood the difference. And this man was able to... Uh, to detect the presence of this evil spirit that had triggered whatever uh, uh, neurological misfire was going on 
in this boy's uh, brain. Behind it was a demon, a deaf and dumb demon. I just want to point out again, as I did when we first began this series on miracles, the demon possession is Satan come out of the closet. Satan likes to stay uh, behind the scenes, remains, remain incognito, not let us see him as he really is. He, he wants evil to look very good, but sometimes he overplays his hand, and when he dominates a personality, as he, as he did in this case, we see him for what he is. He wants to destroy young lives. This is the malignity of this man, of this, of this being. He picks on little children. He's behind all of the violence done to children, the sexual molestation, the physical batterings, the uh, emotional abuse that children experience. And uh, in this case, he had afflicted this child uh, with epilepsy. The boy, as the man later points out, the uh, demon threw him into the fire and into the water to kill him. That was his ultimate goal. He wanted to destroy this young human life and all of its, take away all of its, uh, its potential. The disciples were unable to do anything. They could not cast out this demon. Verse 19, Jesus replied, Oh, unbelieving generation. This word for generation is the word which is used elsewhere in the New Testament for race, unbelieving race. Uh, the, the, the interpreters, the commentators struggle with this, uh, this statement. To whom was it addressed? Well, clearly it was addressed to the scribes. They were part of the unbelieving generation or unbelieving race. They had made up their minds that they would not believe in Jesus, and they had set out to discredit him. This also could be said of the crowd, the multitude that stood around Jesus and this uh, boy. They had been disillusioned. As you know from our study of two weeks ago, Jesus refused to feed them. They lined up. For breakfast, Jesus refused to feed them because his concern was greater than their physical needs. There was something more important to be done in their spirits and in their souls. When he pointed that out to them, many of them left because their concerns were primarily material. If Christ could not make them healthy and wealthy, they didn't want any part of his program, and they turned their backs on him. They had been disillusioned. They were part of this unbelieving generation. The father was disillusioned. So it always happens when you come expecting one of Jesus' disciples to be perfect, and he is not, or she is not. You're disillusioned. And uh, this uh, man who first came with faith had had his faith dashed by the impotence of the, of the apostles. Uh, and the apostles were full of unbelief. They could not cast out the demon. They all were full of unbelief. The whole race is full of unbelief. The human Race. You see, this is our fundamental problem. The passage that we read earlier in Hebrews 11 makes that abundantly clear. This is the sin that so easily besets you and me. Some of you were thinking as you, as you read that phrase, now what is the sin that besets me? Perhaps it's uh, profanity or it's a bad temper, but in context that's not at all what the book of Hebrews is talking about. It, the sin that so easily besets us is unbelief. We'll believe everybody in the world but Jesus. We'll believe our investment counselors and our brokers, and we'll believe in the Constitution of the United States, and we'll believe our legislators, and we'll believe our counselors and our psychiatrists and our pastors, and we'll believe ourselves, and we'll count on our own education and 
And we'll count on our personality and our physical strength and uh, our wittiness and intelligence and all of that. We'll count on anything but Jesus. That's our problem. That's the fundamental problem of the world. And that's why Jesus addresses this. Uh, that's why he makes this statement. It seems so harsh. Oh, unbelieving generation. He's simply telling, telling it like it is. This is our problem. We are an unbelieving race. We don't trust him. We don't rely on him. We don't count on him. This is the one Isaiah says that brings out the stars one by one. He knows all their number. If you want to believe that God is trustworthy, uh, get up tomorrow morning and or tomorrow night. Or, no, you need to get up. Just go outside tonight and uh, <laughs> look up at the stars. And uh, if any of them are missing, then you you got a problem. But they, 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 He knows them all by name. He calls them out. You know, if He can order the universe, can't He order my life? But we don't believe that He can. Uh, Jesus was walking with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They didn't realize it was the resurrected Lord. And they were talking about this terrible tragedy. The one we counted on was crucified up in Jerusalem. And you you recall what Jesus said to them? Oh, he said, you're so slow of heart to believe. And he began to expound on the Old Testament and what the prophets said about the resurrection of the Messiah. And... uh, Finally, when he was breaking the bread and praying over it, they saw his hands. They realized who he was. But you see, he indicts them for their unbelief. Now, that's what the Lord says to me. That's what he says to all of us. Our fundamental problem is that we do not trust him. We'll trust anything in the world. We'll trust our vehicle. We'll trust our retirement program, our investment portfolio. We'll trust our teachers. We will trust ourselves, but we will not trust God. We are an unbelieving generation. And so, uh, having addressed these words to all of us, our Lord turns to the child who was probably being restrained. The, uh, the command is plural. There were probably several people that had to bring him. And he said to them, bring, bring the boy to me. You see, that's the answer. That's the answer to every problem we have to face. Bring it to Jesus. Bring your difficult spouse. Bring your difficult child. Bring every problem, every hindrance, every hassle in your life to Jesus. Bring it to Him. I don't know what He'll tell you to do. I don't know that your that your way will be easier, but but I know that's the place to begin, and then it becomes His problem to give you the next step and to provide the strength and the resilience and the peace and the poise to make it through what whatever God has in mind for. But that's the starting point. You just have to bring that person, that problem, that thing to Jesus. Bring the boy to me, he said. Now what happened when they brought the boy is that you know the, everything just came unglued. The the the, the demon Possessed the boy, he fell on the ground, he begins, began to foam at the mouth again. And so it demonstrates again this antipathy between Jesus and, and, and the evil one. They are polar opposites. They're like light, light and darkness. Whenever our Lord encountered demons, it was like a nuclear explosion going off. It was like zinc and sulfuric acid coming in. There was a violent reaction. It gives some indication of the hatred that Satan has for uh, for our Lord, 
the, 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 the malevolence, the evil in this, this being who wants to, to destroy life. God wants to give it back. That's what he came to do. He came to give life and to give it more abundantly. Satan wants to, wants to take it away. See, of his violent reaction, the demon, when he saw Jesus, threw the boy on, into another convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolling around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus is touched with compassion. How long has he been like this? This is the question that any caring person would, would ask, the man says, from childhood. Been a difficult child from childhood. It's always been like this. Some of you have children like that. Tough kids to raise from the very beginning. Perhaps they are physically afflicted or emotionally afflicted or hyperactive or dyslexic. And they've just been tough from the very beginning. Jesus understood the pain in this parent's heart. He says, it's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. You see, his faith had basically been shattered. That's why uh, he's so tentative. If, if you can do anything, please help us. And Jesus says, if? <laughs> what do you mean, if? All things are possible if you just believe. Now, he doesn't say all, say all things are probable. He doesn't say all things are actual. He's not saying that God will do everything we ask him to do. He's just saying he can. He can. Anything's possible. He may, like Horatio Spafford, simply give you the, the security of soul to go through a terrible experience, the sort of thing that we sang or the praise him sang about a moment ago. Or he may, he may heal your child. We don't know, but we know that he could do anything he chose to do. Anything, he says, is possible. Um, Harold uh, Kushner, uh, Rabbi Harold Kushner, wrote a book entitled When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Many of you read it. It was a bestseller for several months uh, about his child who had progeria, this uh, uh, early aging disease. He watched that child uh, decay and die before his eyes. And he sat down out of that experience and wrote the book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. He came to the conclusion that you can't blame God for these things, and truly you can't. They're behind them is the evil one. And he does say that God is good, but he comes to the conclusion that God can't control the chaos in the world. He simply doesn't have the power to do so. Elie Weissel, who is his friend, the uh, Jewish uh, writer whose uh, faith was destroyed in the Holocaust, said in his review of the book, if that's who God is, why didn't he resign and let somebody competent take his place? I agree. I agree. If that's who God is, then let's get him off the throne and get somebody up there that can do the job. What Jesus is saying is God can do the job. He can do it. If you just believe. Oh, what a heavy responsibility that is to lay on someone's shoulders. That's what the faith healers say. You bring your child to them, and he's afflicted, and he says, I can heal that child if you believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. You sit there, and you grit your teeth, and you try your hardest to believe. The problem is, how much belief do you have to have before God will throw the switch? How many megs? How many ergs? How many pounds per square inch? How do you pump yourself up to have that kind of faith? And, you know, we walk around saying, I believe, I believe, I believe. And we can't generate faith. 
this man does the only thing he could do. He said, I, I believe I have, I have about that much faith. Lord, help me to believe. Help my unbelief. Such a simple statement, but it's so profound. It's so profound because he clearly understood that he was dependent upon Christ for everything, even his faith. You cannot generate faith. I cannot generate faith. Faith comes from faith. The only way to believe is to believe. The only way to to see your faith grow is to ask for it. Do what this man did. Help me. In my unbelief. You see, all of life has to be lived that way. That's true of our initial salvation. We can't save ourselves. We're lost. We're dead in our sins. We're in Satan's domain. We're helpless. And so we come to Christ and we say, help me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And we're transplanted from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. How? By faith. We want to grow as a Christian. We want to become more like Him. How do we do that? We ask Him. Change me. Change me. Change my heart. Change my actions. How do we get into heaven? Is it some good work that we do? No. Hebrews says our hearts have been cleansed from dead works to serve the living God. There's no work that we can do that will get us into heaven. He gets us into heaven. Jesus said, believe in me. You believe in me? Believe in God? In my Father's house are many places to dwell. I'm going to get you there. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You get there by faith. So you become a Christian. You live as a Christian. You, you, you exist eternally as a Christian by faith. There's no other way. As Paul puts it in Ephesians 2. He says, it is by grace that you are saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. That faith is not of yourselves. It's a gift. Of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a gift. Can't generate faith. It's a gift. You have to ask for it. Peter says in his little epistle, We are guarded through faith unto ultimate salvation. He's the one who keeps you from losing your faith. You can't even, you can't even give up your faith. He guards it all the way through to salvation. So this, this man clearly understood. He could not generate faith. Only God could provide it. And so he prays, help me overcome my belief. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and dumb spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him. Get out and don't ever come back, he says. Stay away eternally. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. I don't know if you've noticed it, but things always get worse before they get better. You make a decision that you're going to uh, be a better husband, better wife, better parent, better child, better business person. You're going to deal with some of the habits that have enslaved you. And uh, that's when things get worse, inevitably. Why? Because Satan does not give up his possessions easily. But he has to give them up. That's why Peter says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do you resist the devil? You turn to Christ. You ask him for help. You begin to rely upon him. And that's when the tensions start to build. That's when literally all hell begins to break loose, if I can use that term. That's when Satan does his, his, that's when he tries the hardest. (laughs) 
I thought it. I didn't say it. But he does. He does. Tries his hardest to to undermine us and to uh, to destroy us. And uh, that's what happened here. The boy uh, collapsed into a coma. He uh, uh, looked like he was dead. The people thought he was. They said he's dead. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. And uh, afterwards, his disciples asked privately, why couldn't we drive it out? As I pointed out last week, this is the point in Jesus' ministry where he begins to instruct his apostles primarily. Some ministry to the masses, mostly to his own. He's preparing them for his departure. And this whole scene is one of the lessons that they must learn. Think for a moment. Jesus was on the mountain. He was not with the nine apostles physically. They didn't know how to handle the situation without Jesus' presence. They were learning the lesson that the apostles would have to learn after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. When he ascended, he would no longer be, be present with them physically. They had to learn how to handle life's hassles in that, in that kind of situation. And this was the lesson that, that they were being taught. So they gather in the, in the house, and they ask him privately, why, why, couldn't we, why couldn't we cast this demon out? They ask the same question we ask all the time. When we face one of life's problems, we find ourselves impotent. We can't do anything about it. We get defeated. And we say, why? Jesus said, this kind comes out only by prayer. That's just like the Lord. To make a statement like that and then walk out of the room and leave it ringing in your mind makes you think. You, you, you have to stop and think, what did Jesus mean? This kind, that is, demonic afflictions, these times when we're involved in spiritual warfare, come out only by prayer. Now, there are certain things we can fix without prayer. You know, my car breaks down, I can call some mechanic, some of you in the, in the audience, and you, know, you, you can come over and maybe we'll pray about not getting mad about this thing, but... You, know, you just put your mechanical ability to this thing and you can make it run again. Some problems are like that. But most of the problems in life are much more uh, difficult, much more profound because they're demonically inspired. The problems we have living with one another, relating to one another, the problems we have in our families and homes, the problems with our children, the habits that we find uh, defeating us instead of our defeating them, these the, behind these problems are demons that are out to destroy us. Jesus says, you only handle these problems by prayer. And I ask myself, when did Jesus pray? When did he pray? Not one word in this passage about Jesus praying. What does he say? Well, Jesus' whole life was prayer. He could say with the psalmist, I am prayer. The, the psalmist actually makes that statement. Psalm 103, I am prayer. In other words, my life is virtually prayer. I pray without ceasing. See, our Lord lived in utter dependence upon the Father, always. He never counted on himself. John says in the book of John, Jesus never did anything on his own. He never once counted on anyone but the Father or anything but the Father. 
What I see the Father doing, I do. What I hear the Father saying, I say. I always depend upon the Father. His life was prayer. It was a lifestyle of prayer. Grew out of his life of worship. Uh, The Gospels tell us that it was his custom to go off from time to time and to be alone with his Father and to draw strength from, from that relationship. And then he could go out into the world of demons and men and And he had the capacity to handle life's problems because he had drawn upon the life of the Father. Jesus said, As the living Father has sent me and I live because of the Father, so he that eats me shall live because of me. In other words, the same relationship that I sustain to the Father, you sustain to me. I always live in constant dependence upon the Father. You must live in constant dependence upon me. That's what he means when he says you handle these problems by prayer. A lifestyle of prayer. A lifetime commitment of counting on Jesus, relying upon him, trusting him, resting in his ability to, to meet all of, of life's problems. See, the, the disciples, these nine disciples who failed, had, had learned from Jesus that they had the authority to cast out demons. And they had apparently learned some formula from Jesus in order to exercise these demons. And evidently, they were relying upon this formula, this instruction they had from Jesus rather than Jesus. And that's why they, they couldn't handle the job. And that's, that's the problem I have. I read a good book on counseling. I learn a few techniques. And then I think that there's power in the 12 steps or the, in the advice that's given in this book. Or I can even read the scriptures and think there's some power in a verse that I can lay on people. And forget that that's basically Phariseeism. What Jesus said to the Pharisees is that they searched the scriptures because they thought there was life there rather than coming to Jesus. Because the purpose of the scriptures is to lead us to him. It's truth, but it's just bare truth unless we, unless we proclaim the truth in dependence upon him. Ray Stedman commented once that the pattern seems to be uh, some God raises up some man or woman who walks by faith and they do great things and then they write a book. And that's the kiss of death. Because after they write a book, people read the book and then they decide that's the secret of that man's, that man's power. He did things this way. And they don't realize that the power of his life was prayer. It was his dependence upon God, not the techniques that he employed. So they try out the techniques and they fail. See, that, that, that's what we're inclined to do. Rather than trust in God. The lesson, I think, in addition to be learned from this passage, is that that kind of relationship with Christ grows out of those times when we sit at his feet, when we worship him, when we give ourselves to adoration and love for him. The disciples sat at his feet on the mountain and then they had to come down from the mountain and face into into their world. And uh, the lesson to be learned is that the strength for living on this plane in our world and living a lifestyle of faith and utter dependence upon Christ grows out of that time of, of worship with him. And I have to ask you and I have to ask me, are we setting aside that sort of time, a time and place on a regular basis where we can meet with the Lord, see Him afresh, come to trust Him, 
And then out of that relationship, we can walk by faith. There's no other way to get it. No other way to get it. As uh, Mother Teresa said to a young man that came to her looking for help, she said, you spend one hour a day in devotion to Christ and everything's going to be all right. Now, not everyone has an hour a day to spend in devotion to Christ. But that is the starting place, a time in the mountain where we see him as he is, where we worship him, where we love him, where we listen to him, and then we go into our world to live it out. As Paul Stuckey uh, said in his, uh, in his little song about John Henry Boswell, there's a reason for living way down in the valley that only the mountains can know. That's where you get the strength to live way down in the mountain, in the valley. Let's pray. We uh, come to you, Lord, sometimes with despair, wondering why we cannot handle life as you've uh, told us it should be handled. It's so disillusioning to, uh, to, to go out into our world and to fail as we have all failed. Teach us, Lord, that there must be that, that center of rest, that time and and place where we can renew our strength, as you did. If you needed it, Lord, how much more do we? Give us those times on the mountain where we, we see you only. We realize that you're the one who, who can handle life and its problems. You're the one who can meet our needs. And then from that place of worship, we want to be able to go out into into life and face whatever has to be faced, whether we see victory in this life or not. We want to be able to walk through our world with poise and with quietness of heart, with discipline and with love. We know that uh, that comes from you. Thank you for this reminder from this text. Help us to be men and women of faith. Help our faith. Help it to help us to grow and our capacity to believe you and to depend upon you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.